I don't have any personal experience with great floods or natural disasters, well, other than in Sunday school. But for a young, newly married couple in Des Moines, Iowa, they experienced the impact of a great flood in 1993. Kevin Swenson, a member of the National Guard in 1993, was living with his wife, Kathy Swenson, in the Granby University neighborhood on East 8th Street. I don't think we were prepared for I don't think the city was prepared for um, how quickly it happened. Kevin was not full-time with the Guard. As he worked with UPS during the weeks, Kathy worked in downtown Des Moines as a travel agent. While Kevin and Kathy began their new life together and laid the groundwork for their marriage, a snowy winter laid the groundwork for an ominous flood-filled summer. It was his Guard weekend, um, the weekend that it all happened, and so he was doing training, and so I was just hanging out. Kathy spent her time hanging out over the weekend at the Des Moines Grand Prix, in a hospitality suite at the Embassy Suites downtown, with local owners of a marina shop, one of which was racing in the Grand Prix. The Rouen Des Moines Grand Prix was in its fifth year of existence in downtown Des Moines. It consisted of three days of racing through the streets of Des Moines, bringing in an estimated 30,000 attendees daily to downtown Des Moines. The course often crossed over the Des Moines River on Grand Avenue and the Lotus Street Bridges. While relaxing, watching the beginning of the race, the waters began to rise. But you know, we were right next to the river. And so we were watching the races and we were watching as things began to float down the river. And we realized a little later that we were actually watching pieces of the marina that he owned <laughs> floating down the river and his wife was there and you know of course he was driving so um, it just the waters kept coming up and getting higher and higher. By the time Kathy left the hospitality suite to return home roads were closed and the flooding had intensified. Kathy had no way of reaching Kevin who was in a nearby town Boone for his National Guard weekend. All Kathy was able to do was return gratefully to an unflooded home and turn on the news. So it had gotten there that weekend, which was would have been a Saturday, and um, we could tell things were going on behind the scenes, but we just didn't really know what was going on. And then finally, we we got told that hey, it, we we could get called up at any time, and we're like, oh great, okay, and um, we got we got the notification so we we found ourselves in Valley Junction I, I actually I think the staging point was was on Ashworth with Kevin aiding the flood relief and support and Kathy home alone who would they both rely on for information and updates so my mom's like turn on the news is that Kevin well you know from behind nobody had hair they all had on the same clothes so I mean there looked like a thousand Kevin so I don't know so that was kind of funny I have no idea if I saw him or not but we were kind of watching that unfold local news was the main flow of information for Kathy as she navigated the ever-changing circumstances the downtown area and when the waterworks was taken over by this dirty filthy water yeah. the pump stopped there and when they called us to say, hey, you've got to tell people, fill up your bathtubs, fill up every container you have, the water is shut off, what's left in the pipes is all we're going to have. Yeah. That's when 
is circus started of people trying to get into these supermarkets, yeah, grabbing it. all the water, grabbing the food. Mm -hmm. uh, we were without electricity for almost two weeks as well. So out of water for two weeks, first time that 250,000 people anywhere in the United States have been without water, cut off from a, a natural disaster like this. All the media, we were all working together hand in hand to, to keep people aware of what's happening, was, was, what was happening, and keep them uh, ahead of this game. So we were on the air for five days straight without commercials. Uh, first, my first, like 30 hours, my first shift, we couldn't keep the doors closed because there were automatic doors. We were without electricity. People just started filing in. People we'd never met before. Mm -hmm like Iowans do. So it flooded pretty fast. And yeah, it, it was, was fast and furious. It was mm -hmm. in all places. So I got a call about, I think, 11 o'clock that night, because I think it rained. It was it, raining. It, okay, so. Which didn't help. Yeah, so our anything. friends who knew I was home alone had called and said, were you aware that you, you can't drink your water? I'm like, no. And um, so we were, they said, you know, fill up your milk gallons with water in, in your bathtub and stuff. So I was doing that, trying to fill up the milk gallons, but it was grossing me out and I was gagging. <laughs> so I didn't do that, but, um, but we had no idea, like when they said we didn't have water, I wasn't thinking we wouldn't have water for yeah. that long, but it, it was a couple weeks, I think, two weeks, I think. With information slowly rolling in via local news or through word of mouth, there had to be a strong community response and support. The Swensons experienced this support from their colleagues and friends. Immediately following the flooding, a father of one of Kathy's friends, Lawrence Kershinsky, died in line waiting for water at a local grocery store. Kathy leapt into action, providing childcare and meeting the needs of the family as they worked to organize a visitation and funeral. So they were handing out water and, and stuff like in the Casey's parking lots, grocery store parking lots or whatever. And she called me, she called me about midnight and her dad had been standing in line getting water and he had a heart attack and died. Kevin returned to work at UPS following his time with the guard over the weekend. But as soon as he returned, he began serving the community once more, delivering water to local sites. While the sporadic impact of the flood forced the Swensons to seek showers and basic meals elsewhere, another peer of theirs had their home collapse due to water damage. The variety of loss and damage across the state of Iowa left many with an opportunity to help those around them or to rely on their community. Each other. Each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that That's who you fall back on, right? Um, that That's your core. Um, you, in, 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 you know, the community piece, right? You, you, um, I don't know if you'd see that today. I, I would hope that you could, you know, and maybe I'm being pessimistic um, with that, but th that, Back then, I mean, it didn't matter who you were or what faith you were or what political party you were or skin color you were. We all we all worked together to to get through it, you know, because the the greater good was the important thing, right?
Would you see the same community response today? Has increased information and increased division eliminated the opportunity for community? A research study conducted on crisis communication titled Improving Communication and Crisis Management by Evaluating the Relevance of Messages by Niels Netten and Martin van Someren from the University of Amsterdam provides a key perspective on the topic of information overload. A main theme from the study was that missing information and information overload are important factors that determine the success of crisis management. Within Netten's and Van Someren's study, the focus was investigating internal communication errors between crisis responders. These errors often included lack of contact to other departments, irrelevant information, or communicating late altogether. These mistakes resulted in the death of two firefighters. Netten and Van Someren presented a solution, a Task Adaptive Information Distribution Procedure, or TAID system for short. This presentation of pertinent information organized by relevancy could be a way to preserve the sense of community that the Swensons experienced in 1993, while maximizing the life-saving technological advancements that have taken place since the Great Flood of 1993. The Atlantic's Emily Oster recently detailed the need for a pandemic amnesty due to the division over ever-changing crisis information. A clean slate of sorts is wanted following information overload during a global pandemic, a global crisis that divided communities instead of unifying them, hampering collective community efforts. A clean slate may not be possible at all, or what is even needed, but the main takeaway is that community must be preserved amidst crisis and never thrown to the wayside for instant information. The band Camino's song, Look Up, continues on in its lyrics. So look up, it's right there in front of you. You're stuck to your phone like it's superglue. But guess what? If we think this virtual mentality's enough, kick connection out the back door, scroll up, you won't find what you're looking for. Tough luck, we can't live like this anymore. The whole wide world is waiting. If you just look up, look up. The lyrics to Look Up call for a change in our consumption of information. In the case of a flood, instant information is safer, right? It should be better now than back then. Maybe it is, but... Has our flow of instant information eliminated our sense of real community in times of great need? If so, what needs to change? Next time on April of 93.